Before we begin today's episode, we'd like to thank our corporate sponsor, Fiduciary Trust International, for their generous support. Fiduciary Trust International helps families with significant wealth manage that wealth and the complexities that come with it across the generations. Building your legacy is about more than just managing your investments. Fiduciary Trust International helps you look at your wealth holistically today and plan effectively for your future. They will help you structure your wealth so you can enjoy it now and provide maximum benefit to your heirs and the causes you care about. If you're looking for trust, estate, and advanced tax planning services to help you grow and protect your wealth, check out Fiduciary Trust International at fiduciarytrust.com. Six-time Grammy Award winner Terence Blanchard returned to the Met this season with a thrilling staging of his first opera, Champion, based on the tragedy of boxer Emile Griffith and the fight that ultimately took someone's life. Find out more about this dramatic masterpiece on today's episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast. The Metropolitan Opera Guild is dedicated to enriching people's lives through an awareness and deeper appreciation of opera. Our podcast features lectures and events presented by the Guild in support of performances at the Metropolitan Opera. The Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast is made possible via generous funding from its corporate sponsor, Fiduciary Trust International, and support from the Stuart J. Pierce Memorial Fund. Champion has come to the Met stage in a new production starring bass baritones Ryan Speedo Green and Eric Owens as Emile Griffith at different points in his life, soprano Latonia Moore as his estranged mother, and mezzo-soprano Stephanie Blythe as bar owner Kathy Hagen. I'm your host, Stuart Holt, and on today's episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast, we're joined by lecturer Tanisha Mitchell as she discusses the music and real-life themes of Champion, an opera in jazz. Good evening, everyone. This story, it it hits close to me because, number one, I'm half Caribbean. My father is from, was from Grenada. And number two, where uh, Emil Griffith passed away or where he spent the last few years of his life is not too far from where I was raised in Hempstead, New York. So when I look at the documentary and I look at where he lived, I said, oh my gosh, I pass that building all the time. But opera reflects the human experience. While there are so many variations of the human experience, I believe we all have the same psychological needs. There are three. One, the need to strive for something better. We all want something better especially nowadays. Number two, the need to express ourselves uniquely. This is why we all are wearing different things. We all wear our hair differently. It's because there's a need to express ourselves uniquely. But most of all, the need to win. We all want to win. It could be big or small. We want to win. This is the reason why We strive to learn more, whether the learning is here, whether it's on our social media, whatever it is, we all want to win. And this story reflects these three things, 
please keep them in mind. What's special about this opera is that it allows us to appreciate the plot and watch the story unfold in the music. I do programs on Puccini, on Mozart, on Bizet, on Verdi. And the difference with those composers with this is that there are so many interpretations. So many interpretations to the point that the, the storyline becomes secondary to the music. A few weeks ago, I did a program on Samson and Delilah. And while that's something that's not in the common repertoire, the people in the audience told me the music is so beautiful. It's gorgeous. What's the story about again? <laughs> but with contemporary opera, there aren't many interpretations and the story is fresh. The story of Emil Griffith is so compelling because it depicts a beautiful person whose internal struggles occurred during his highest victories. Here is what Terence Blanchard said about Champion in February 2016. I think people should come out to check out Champion because it's a very compelling story. It's just, it's, it's drama. It's the story of Emil Griffith, who was a great fighter, champion in the 60s, who fought a guy by the name of Benny Perrette. The interesting thing about it is that Emil Griffith was gay. In the press conference, Benny Perrette, trying to get an edge on his opponent, outed him. I think his aggression got the better of him at, certain, at a certain point. The fight has been stopped. And the winner and new champion is Emil Griffith, but we're more concerned about the condition of uh, Benny Kid Perrette. He put Benny Perrette in a coma. And 10 days later, Benny Perrette died. Emil's life took a tailspin. But the interesting thing happened once he started to do his autobiography. He said, you know, I killed a man and the world forgave me, yet I love the man and the world wants to kill me. And I thought that was, first of all, I thought it was a very powerful statement. But unfortunately, it's still a very relevant statement. You know, to think that he had accomplished so much, but yet he still couldn't be free to live his life the way he would want to, I think is a tragedy. And it's a tragedy indeed, because this man accomplished so many things in boxing. At a very young age, he won so many fights within a short amount of time. But my curiosity peaked the most because he was reluctant to be a boxer, totally reluctant. When we think of this type of success, we often equate it to someone that was a prodigy or they started at a very, very young age. And he did, but he was reluctant to do it. So a few facts about the opera, it's in two acts. It made its premiere on June 15th in 2013 and it was under Opera St. Louis. And many things, there were many productions. You have the one from St. Louis. It did make its debut in San Francisco with Opera Parallel. Also, Washington National Opera did it in 2017. And most recent before this, Boston Lyric Opera in May 2022. The librettist, Michael Christopher, is a prolific American actor, playwright, and filmmaker who received a Pulitzer Prize for drama and a Tony Award. His most recent work was his portrayal of Philip Price 
in the television series, Mr. Robot. And it's based on Emil Griffith's biography, Nine, Ten, and Out, The Two Worlds of Emil Griffith by Ron Ross. And so much to say about Terrence Blanchard. One of the things that we probably know is that he is the first black composer to have an opera performed at the Met. But there's another thing that's come out. There are two things. He does stories around the African diaspora. So when I say the African diaspora, Fire Shut Up in My Bones is about the African-American experience. This program here is about the opera champion, which is about the West Indian or the Caribbean experience. Two different cultures, not just black folks. Two different cultures. I've grown up in a household where my father is Caribbean, my mother is from the South. Two totally different cultures, African diaspora in the 20th century landscape. Very important because it reflects African Americans after slavery, but after the migration from the South to the North. Very important. And I learned that he's the first living composer in nearly 80 years to have different operas performed at the Met back to back. The last was Richard Strauss with Salome in 1943-44 season and De Rosenkavalier, 1944-1945. Blanchard describes this as an opera in jazz. Now, when you go to the opera and you see this, and you're sitting down, in the audience, all of the strings will be to your left. But to your right, you're going to have what's called a rhythmic section. And that rhythmic section involves percussion. It involves a bass. It, it also involves woodwinds on your right side towards the stage. That rhythmic section is the driving force of the opera you're going to hear that constantly when you're sitting there and especially accompanying the singers. And it also is, it's almost like, I don't know if there are fans of the Baroque operas here, but it's almost like the harpsichord. The harpsichord gives space for a singer to interpret it the way they want and to take their time. That's what this rhythmic section does. This setup, is indicative of today. I've been um, doing programs for years, and I started out here really at the Metropolitan Opera Music Library. And back in the day, the strings were on both the left and the right side of the orchestra, but that's not the case here. So take a look when you're sitting down and looking. Another big thing is the percussion. If you look on your right side towards the rear, Lots of percussion, lots of percussion. It also reflects the Caribbean culture. And if you look at this instrumentation, it's similar really to George Gershwin and what he used in Porgy and Bess. Very similar. But anyway, let's get into the setting. We are in New York City, mid 20th century, post World War II. The music score says the 40s to the 2000s. However, we are going to look at when Emil Griffith came into boxing. And he immigrated here to New York City in the 50s. And by that time, the city was settled as an immigrant capital of the world. 
first and second generation immigrants that included Irish, Jews, Italians. But by this time, there was a huge influx of Caribbeans, especially those who were Puerto Ricans, hence West Side Story. All of it is created around this time. And at that time, people came here because there was work available in factories. But if we look back to the turn of the 20th century, this was a time when immigration, it depended on the image that people can make it here. You can get rich quickly. The streets were paved in gold. Historically, we see this with the Great Migration and the creation of Ellis Island. And as I mentioned before, with my household, I am a product of such migration because my mom, she came here from the South in the 60s after her sister came here at this time. And my father came here in the 60s, immigrating from Canada. He came to Canada in the mid 50s and then came here. So I am a product, and I'm sure many of you who are here are products of such migration. And the idea of coming to New York and making it was a pull from leaving your country from that small town. Hence Frank Sinatra's words, if I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. It's up to you, New York, New York. But when they got here, they saw that conditions were different. Economically at this time, you had a lot of factories that closed down and there were not as much opportunity as some thought. And we could even go back to the turn of the 20th century with Jacob Rees and how he highlighted the destitute. And so what most immigrants did, they worked in the garment district, including Emil Griffith. And so how did boxing come into play? By 1957, we have two baseball teams that leave here for the West. The Brooklyn Dodgers was one of them. And then there was a rise because now these teams are gone. And now what do you do as a vocation? What do you do as entertainment? There was a rise of boxing. And as I know you all have heard of the film Rocky starring Sylvester Stallone, it was loosely based on Rocky Marciano, the great heavyweight champion, undefeated, became very popular about this time, around this time. Pete Hamill, um, legendary historian says, boxing became the sport of the poor, set up to entertain the middle class. And that's exactly what you got. You have lots of poor immigrants who turned to boxing to get out of poverty because they did not have access to education. But what do you do when the only opportunity out of poverty becomes the same place of torment? Both Emil Griffith and Benny Perrette became products of systems that cause juxtapositions between their culture, society, and most of all, their lives. And so when we get to act one, Emil Griffith is born on February 3rd, 1938. However, the opera doesn't begin that way. The opera begins as a flashback where he ended his life. 
And by the 1950s, he arrives to New York City uh, because his mother left the Virgin Islands. And when he was 11, they say he ran away from his family. And you will see this as a recurring theme, the treatment that he had to succumb to with his family. And so he was so happy that he said, my mother Imelda, she sent for me, and that's all I wanted to hear. I pack my bags and I go to New York. And so here is how the opera begins. It doesn't begin that way. This is from Opera Parallel, and this is the late, great Arthur Woodley, who played the older Emil Griffith. This is my As you see, he is older. He has a problem physically that we'll get into. So many things in his life led him to that moment, and I will leave it there. But how did Emil get into boxing? It was a hot day in the 1950s, and he worked for Howie Albert. The way that Howie Albert says, he says, this guy looked exactly like a boxer. But Emil, he felt otherwise. Here is how Howie, Emil's future co-manager, met Emil. When I got out of the Air Corps, I went to work for my dad. He was a wholesale jobber, George Albert. They called him Broadway George, because he was born and bred in New York, and he was a real New York character. And I called one day, I said, I need a delivery boy, you know? And he sent Emil Griffith up to me. That's how I met Emil Griffith. Introducing from the Virgin Islands and New York City, wearing black trunks, weighing 144, the challenger, Emil Griffith! Griffith! He said he was 16, but he was only 15 because he wanted the job. That job was um, delivery boy first, and then I moved from delivery boy to a hat designer. One day, I said to Howard, it was a hot day, and I said to him, can I remove my shirt? So that was my trouble right there, taking my shirt off. I couldn't believe the body on this kid. He had a 26 waist with a 44 shoulder. And I said, my God, if this kid could fight, but he, he didn't look like a fighter. Yeah, I mean, he looked like he could be, he could kill anybody, but yet he wasn't that type of guy. 
He said to me one day, if I don't mind going with him to the gym. I said, no. When we got there, he said to me, you see a gentleman over there? I said, yes, and then I went to, it was Clancy. Clancy said to me, well, you go inside and start getting undressed. I said, undressed for what? I ain't doing nothing. So he said, you're going to box. I said, I'm not going to box nobody. You know, normally I don't put a fighter in the Golden Gloves unless I train him for at least a year. But Amel came to me in November, and the first Golden Glove bout was in January. That's only a couple of months. But he showed me so much promise. I said, I'm going to take a chance with this kid. And Gil Clancy did take a chance with him. And he ended up losing the tournament in 1957. However, he came back to win his first professional fight against Joe Parham in June 1958. And it was impressive because he had the natural ability of a fighter, even though he was reluctant to do it. He won three Golden Gloves. And with that, that brought in not only prestige, but money. Because if you win, you get money. And what did he do with that money? He took a trip back to his home in the Virgin Islands, and he brought his whole family back to New York City and they lived under one roof. Now, there's a very special character that you will learn about, Imelda, Imelda Griffith, his mother. And she was very supportive of him. When you see the opera and he comes to New York, Imelda is going to recognize him as someone else. And that person is in this clip. Emil came to visit the Virgin Islands. At that time, he was already famous on the island because he had won the Golden Glove. And I was asking him a whole myriad of questions. I said to him, when you go back to New York, I want to go with you. I brought my family from the Virgin Islands, brothers and sisters. Each bout meant airfare for another child to come over from St. Thomas. It took him eight fights bring his family. He purchased a home for my mother, where all the Griffiths was under one roof. A big, big Well, let's take a look at this new face. If you saw this young man singing uh, so sweetly on Sunday in the choir of the St. James Missionary Church, you'd find it hard to believe he was a professional prize fighter. His most loyal and loudest rooter is his mother, who is present at ringside here tonight. My mommy always used to come to see me fight, and cheer me on all the time. When she went to the fights, nobody wanted to sit near her. She'd get up and she'd scream, hit him, son, hit him, son. And all the politicians who were in the front rows, they were screaming, what do you put us, put us near them for? You try and keep her quiet. <laughs> Not only she would come, but her whole family would come. And there would, there would be a real ruling section. We would stand up and yell and cheer if he hit a good punch, or he knocked the fighter down. I remember one time, Amon was in a real tough fight, and Marty Allen, the comedian, came over to the whole group and he said, you know, if Amon loses this fight, you're going to have to go to work, and you're going to have to go to work, and you're going to have to go, go to work, but Amon uh, fortunately won the fight. He won the fight, and one of the things that is important in this, well, in Act One, you're going to hear her say, Frankie, you know, where Frankie came from, Emil's brother. But Emil 
immediately becomes the sole provider for the entire family. That's not easy. With his family in New York City, this means that the vocation he was reluctant to do became the one and only opportunity that changed his life. And you're going to see the pressures of that in the opera. It's going to come to a head. I'm not going to do any spoilers or anything. But you're going to see that. And he says this. He said, I listened to Howie Albert in the gym. I listened to Gil Clancy. And I do what they tell me to do. I try my best to do what they want me to do. And I succeed. All of these factors are important when considering his encounter with Cuban boxer Benny Perrette. Now, the 60s marked a turning point in Emil Griffith's career. Although Griffith faced tough matches before, he will now face his inner struggles with his sexuality at the height of his career. The stakes were very high because Griffith, out of 24 fights, he won 22 with only two losses. And meanwhile, Cuban boxer Benny Kid Perrette had an impressive 34 wins with nine losses and three draws. Perrette was born in Santa Clara, Cuba, and his manager was Manuel Alfaro, a restaurant owner. So now you see the difference. Griffith's managers were one who he worked for in the garment district. The other gentleman ran a boxing club, per se, or gym. Benny Perrette, his manager, was a restaurant owner. And the only thing that was important was winning, because winning amounts to money. And at this time, before they fought, Perrette was the welterweight champion. He won for the first time in May of 1960. So going into the first match with Emil was his turn to defend his title. And their first match was April 1st, 1961. And so what did I say earlier? We have a need to win. The sport itself is on the precipice of winning. And that's exactly what happened. Perrette did not win. Emil Griffith won. And for the first time, he was the welterweight champion in the 1960s. And the press, they couldn't get enough of Emil's story. But they only knew a part of the story. One of the big part was the fact that he liked to make hats. And this show that my mom told me about, I've Got a Secret, hosted by Gary Moore. He was on the show after. And Gary Moore tells him who made the hats. And now I want you to see the reaction. These lovely hats were designed by, of all people, the new welterweight boxing champion of the world, Emil Griffith. My, my, my committee, which is Bill, yeah. and, and I, want to know, how in goodness name are we expected to come up with something like that? You're not, but you're charming while you're not doing it. The last time anyone saw Emil Griffith on television was about two weeks ago when he was jumping all over the ring in the great excitement after winning his title by a knockout over Benny Kid Perrette. And here is the new welterweight champion of the world, Emil Griffith. 
Emil, have you gotten used to having everybody call you champ yet? I'm getting used to it. You, you've settled down now. You're the most yes. excited guy I ever saw in my life. He was turning cartwheels around the ring. It was a beautiful thing to watch. Let me ask you a couple of... At what point in the fight with Benny Perrette did you feel that, uh, that you had your man? Well, from the 10th round, I still had By the 10th round on, you felt you began to feel confident about it, huh? Yes, sir. Well, of more interest right at the moment, how did a boxer happen to get into the hat designing business? Well, I also was in the millinery business before I started boxing. Oh, you were in the millinery business. Well, now, how did you happen to get out of the millinery business and into fighting? Well, my boss signed me up to fight him. And I didn't like the idea of it, but I went along with him. Well, he uh, actually entered you in the Golden Gloves, uh, didn't he? Yes, he did. Well, here's a fellow who's had 25 professional fights. Only 25 over a period of how many years? Three, three years. Three years, and after 25 professional fights, he is the world champion. It has never been done that fast before. Amy, we're just delighted to have you with us. Really, are. Congratulations. And he says, I was like a king in the street. It was one of the biggest accomplishments for him because of the pride that people felt with him winning. But bad blood begins after that. Now, Benny Kid Perrette and Emil Griffith had three fights, okay? That was the first one. And so, of course, it's natural to want to win again. And Benny Kid Perrette recaptured the welterweight title on September 30th, 1961. And it was really by a split decision. And that's when the bad blood started because Emil's camp thought that he should have won, but Perrette won. And so what was used as a campaign against Emil was his closeted sexuality. And so there was a word that was said that I will have them tell you what it is. This is Ron Ross. Emil Griffiths, the person that wrote his biography, which the libretto is based on. And this is what he has to say. There was a little bit of bad blood in that fight. That's where the bad blood really started. There was an incident at the weigh-in. Perrette's corner started making disparaging marks and used the word maricone. He did, you know, Captain said maricone, that means gay. And to him, uh, I guess he heard somewhere that Emil Griffith was gay. I don't know because I never talked to the guy. But that's the way they treated each other. He was gay and Benny was a man. I don't know what went in between them. Maricón is even like, at least in Latino culture, it's probably the most derogatory word you can use. Uh, it, uh, it, because of the enormous uh, homophobic nature of the culture for so long. He didn't know that I understood a little Spanish, but at the time, I knew Maricón meant faggot, and I wasn't nobody faggot. And the defeat in September became the impetus for Griffith to want to recapture the title, to want to win. And that's when tensions became even worse. They fought their last fight on March 24th, 1962. And this is when Benny Kidd Perrette calls him the name to his face and also grabs a body part. So again, it didn't just happen. It started before. 
And at that time, he wanted, Emil Griffith wanted to beat him up at that time. But Howie told him, save it for the fight. Don't do it now. Because obviously, if the fight doesn't go on, there's a lot of money riding on this. And on both sides, the pressure with Emil, he wanted to fight him at that time because of what he was called. But on Benny Kid Perret's side, he really did not want to fight. He was reluctant. His wife says that the night of the fight, he called her and he says, you know, I really don't feel comfortable doing this, but I have to do it because there's a lot of money riding on this. And one of the biggest things is the fact that it was on television. So you have even more money riding on it. And so I want you all to see all of this tension at this time of this fight on March 24th, 1962. I want you to see how it's translated into opera, which you will see. But this is the chamber version because the Met version is, is expanded. This is from Opera Parallel 1961. And I just want to mention who everybody is. Kenneth Kellogg is young Emil Griffith. Karen Slack is Amelda Griffith. We have Victor Ryan Robinson as Benny Kid Perrette. Howard Albert is Robert Orth. And the conductor is Nicole Paymont. Here we go. Some kind of pussy. Howie! Get inside and 
when you get inside, you stay inside, you stay there, and you let him have it. You let him have it until he folds, until he's holding onto you, until the ref breaks you. You don't stop hitting the son of a bitch until he's. <laughs> Mill Griffith recaptures the title, but he says in the opera, something so good turns so bad. The win proved to be bittersweet with Benny Perrette in a coma. Onlookers were shocked and horrified. And we not only have onlookers who were there, but people who watched it on television. And it was a graphic and brutal an unforgettable occurrence. It was the first championship fight televised where a fatality occurred. And while Perrette was in the coma, this is what some of the, the news flash that came out. It started with Perrette being near death. That was the first thing. But then all of a sudden, the change turned around to boxing. Boxing is so brutal. Too brutal, say critics of boxing. Politicians spoke out against the sport. And the media ran campaigns that disparaged boxing. There was one politician that said, you know, we have other sports. We have baseball. We have basketball. Why do we have to have this sport at all? And it was a shocker all around. And so boxing... This was the last time that boxing was on television within about 10 years. Advertisers withdrew their money and people weren't interested in it as much. And there was just the turn that boxing, boxing was the enemy of all of this. And Emil Griffith changed internally. He says, I could not get along with myself. I stopped going to the gym. Emil Griffith never boxed the same again, fearing he would fatally injure someone. And 10 days later, Benny Kidd Perrette died on April 3rd, 1962. The referee, Ruby Goldstein, he never worked again because people blamed him. They said, why didn't you stop that man from killing him? Why didn't you stop it? Hindsight is always 20-20. And 
To add insult to injury, television played the fight over and over and over again. Oh, we all know that in the social media. Over and over and over again. See, this stuff never happened. It, 1962, this is like the, the budding time for television. And Emil Griffith received death threats. It was just nonstop. And so he was never the same. And by Act Two, you find out, and really Act Two of his life, as we would put it in real life, you find out that he says he starts seeing Benny Kidd Perret. He doesn't fight the same. He says he, he started to not punch as hard because he was afraid. And he said that even one time he saw Benny Kidd Perret in the ring as he was fighting. So you can tell even the press took hold of this. But so many things happened on the outside that was an advantage for him. And between uh, 1963 and 1964, he was the fighter of the year by the Boxing Writers Association of America. And we thought that everything was great. He won so many fights, including one in 1962 versus Ralph Dupas. 1964, Luis Rodriguez, Dick Tiger in 1966, and the famous one, Nino Benvenuti, 1967-1968. He made so much money, and he prided himself in the suits he was able to buy. They said he had over 50 suits, designer suits, and he drove a pink Lincoln. I would love to see that. And during that time, and on a personal note, he married Sadie Donastorg. After meeting her, he, you know, meeting her after just a few weeks, they got married, and the marriage didn't last at all, but they remained friends. But until then, from 1971 to 1977, he wasn't winning as many fights as he used to, and you will see that in the opera, symbolically. Things started to change, and he always said, if Gil Clancy and Howie Albert told him, listen, you got to hang it up, he will do it. And he did, 1977, July. So all of this happens, you retire, there's no pension for boxing, per se. What do you do? So he becomes a corrections officer in Secaucus, New Jersey, and that's where he meets his future adopted son and companion, Luis Rodrigo, who you will see in the opera, you will see throughout the opera. Things were okay. He worked in regular jobs. He trained famous fighters like Wilfred Benitez and Juan Laporte. They said he was an excellent trainer. But it wasn't until 1992 that he suffered a brutal attack. And I call this the second coming, really, of his sexuality because the brutal attack happened outside of a gay bar, and they said it was a hate crime. And in the documentary, he's bolder, because the documentary is him, Emil, around 2005. And he's, at that time, he suffered a brain injury, he has dementia, he has short-term memory loss. And he says this, he says, some people think I'm gay, I don't care. As long as I know right from wrong, 
and I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm okay. But with the short-term dementia, it affected so many things. He forgot when his mother, they asked him in the documentary, when did your mom pass away? How did your mother pass? He couldn't tell you. But the loss of his cognitive functions did not affect his memory about Benny Kidd Perrette. That stayed with him. And he says, it frustrates me when I don't remember a lot of things. Sometimes I think it's for the best. And that is because that fight continuously haunted him. And it, it's amazing to be that age in that type of condition. I'll take away the age, but the condition of the dementia. You forget everything, but you don't forget the fight. That stays with you. And Benny Kidd Perrette, we have to remember, he was also a prize fighter, a husband and a father. His life was full of contradictions too, because he was a hero in two ways. Number one, a hero to his manager because he, he won, and he won money, okay? But most of all, number two, a hero to his family because he provided for his family. His son was his pride and joy. Let's not forget that. And it's so sad, the juxtaposition of the love versus the business. His manager, Manny Alfaro, is quoted to saying, I need to find another boy after Benny Kid Perrette died. That there sticks with you. And in between this time with Benny Kid Perrette's son, there were times when they were going to meet up with Emil, but Emil was afraid because he says, I don't know what would have happened. But in the last years of Emil Griffith's life, the documentary was a way for him to have the first meeting with Benny Kid Perrette's son. Here is reconciliation to me. I think part of him died after Benny Perrette fight. He didn't like to talk about it, and you could see that he was and is still hurting over it. My friend, I sit here talking to you. I can still feel I, 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 I feel, oh gosh, I, I get chills, you know, talking about it. Sometimes I still have nightmares. And it makes my heart feel boom, boom, boom sometimes. I wake up some I feel my sweat all over my face. Uh, people say I'm too sensitive, I'm too touchy, but I'm not touchy. Memories come back, there's nothing you can do but just let it flow. Griffiths, it's a pleasure meeting you. 
मैं कैसे मिसे इसे आयु दिखेत सन Then I want you to know that it's um there's no hard feelings here and thank you. Thank you sir. I didn't go in there to hurt no one. I know. But things happen. I know. <laughs> I always want to meet you too, you know. So have I. Who had your mommy? My mom? It's hard for her. I understand. It's hard for her, but I understand. But it's very hard one thing for her. I can I say, one thing I can say is, is that there's no hard feelings. She's, there's no hard feelings at all. <laughs> so I ended here with this quote. Now, the meeting between Benny Perrette Jr. and Emil Griffith is a powerful representation of reconciliation, closure and forgiveness. Now, this is part of a quote that I loved. He said, I was never the same fighter after that. After that fight, I did enough to win. I would use my jab all the time. I never wanted to hurt the other guy. I would have quit, but I didn't know how to do anything else but fight. Emil Griffith died on July 23rd, 2013. He fought throughout his life to express his uniqueness, strive for a better life, and most of all, to win. Thank you all so much. Thank you. That was lecturer Tanisha Mitchell discussing Terence Blanchard's tragic opera in jazz, Champion. The production, featuring a star-studded cast led by Met Music director Yannick Nezet-Seguin, will be seen worldwide, live in HD, on April 29th, 2023. For more information, visit metopera.org. Make sure to follow the Metropolitan Opera Guild, Opera News, and the Metropolitan Opera on your favorite social media platforms to keep up to date on all things opera. I'm your host, Stuart Holt, and thank you so much for listening.